are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you here, and glad that you who are at home are at home doing what feels comfortable and right to you. I told first service, like, I was, like, I was nervous that there were going to be people here. Uh, I've, I've talked for weeks with puppets, and I don't know how this is going to go in your response to me, um, but I'm glad that you're here. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. I know that my heart's been filled with gratitude for my mother and certainly that I'm yoked together with the most gracious, beautiful, loving mother on the planet and glad that you're here and I'm fully aware that I just used this platform to earn brownie points, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) We're going to be in Ephesians 2 today, so you feel free to turn there in your Bible, whether you have it digitally or a printed copy. We're going to read through that. Uh, Today, we're going to bypass our announcements and our normal mission and values just to have more time to to use that time more wisely. We are in the fruit of the Spirit. We have been there for, this will be our fourth week, Galatians 5, 22, that says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there are no laws. That is the key verse of our series. We're in Ephesians today, but uh, what we find to be very important is that we deal with this topic of peace really well. Uh, Peace is something that maybe we're all grasping for at this time, and certainly if you would look at the descriptors of the fruit of the Spirit, all of those different descriptive words, you, you couldn't circle three other words in those descriptors besides love, joy, and peace that would build such a beautiful, solid foundation for Christ-likeness. You couldn't circle self-control and gentleness and faithfulness and get the sort of love, joy, and peace that our Bible talks about. So we want to really root foundationally here in these three words, love, joy, and peace. Peace this week will be focused on how we have attained peace, and then next week we will talk about how we give peace. Several years ago, I was at a movie theater by myself. The show had started. I had my popcorn and my drink, and I was settled in for just a time of leisure. Uh, The movie was about a fifth of the way through, and my peaceful, tranquil moment uh, was completely eradicate. This small moment of peace in my busy life was taken from me, and it wasn't the movie. Like I don't remember the movie, to be honest, but the content was fine. Uh, There were really people around me in the auditorium to bother me, and the projector was working, so in the scheme of things, there really wasn't anything big, but for me, it was huge. There, there was a cricket in the movie theater that every 30 seconds went, 
And it just drove me bananas. I, I don't know if you know this or not. I struggle with attention and I struggle with focus. And so at every moment in my life, I'm constantly evaluating all of the movements and all of the happenings that are around me. Now, granted, I know that you're in here. That doesn't have to scare you. I'm not evaluating this. I can, I can box this in. But I couldn't get this cricket out of my head. And I just I was not at peace anticipating the next sound the cricket would, would make. And here's how bad it got. I literally crawled on the ground to find the cricket, and I never found it, nor did I find the peace that I was longing for in that moment. You know, today we are entering a vastly important concept of peace, a peace that transcends our own abilities, our own desires, a peace that's different than we may think, a peace that works in sync with my love and my joy as I walk by the Spirit. But what is of great importance, and we should spend much deliberateness around, is understanding that often my perspective of peace echoes the fight that I had with a cricket in the theater. Now, granted, that cricket should be crushed with all human force possible. But if we believe peace is like that, if our conception of peace is that it's the removal of things that are annoyances, the removal of hardships, the removal of struggle, we will find ourselves to be disappointed in our lives. Now, I'm going to make an assumption that's pretty easy for me to do. I'm not going to take a great risk in saying this. Every one of us, whether you're here or in your home, we want peace in our lives. We want peace in our life. We want peace in our homes. We desire a life that doesn't have much conflict, a life that is unbothered by the struggles of life, that is really unaffected by the struggles of others. We would love to have a life where only happy, joyful, prosperous, good things enter our life and peace was abundant. That is what we would want. That's what we hope for. But we know that that is not the life that we have nor it's not the life that we will have. And so what becomes so vitally important for us to see and know and believe and sense is that the peace that we're talking about in the fruit of the peace is not the absence of my struggles, it's not the absence of my frustration, it's not being unhindered, but biblical peace has everything to do with wholeness. It has everything to do with wholeness. Biblically speaking, peace is not the absence of things. It is the completion of things. Uh, and that is something that is radically different than the perspective that, and wisdom that we often have in peace. When we think about peace, we think of peace in the way that we escape from things. It is the, the glass of wine at the end of the day. It is the Netflix binge on our day off. It is the scrolling through our Instagram feed through we go to bed. It's the day at the movies by yourself. It's this time where we retreat and disconnect. And certainly that is peaceful, but that is not the fruit of the Spirit. When we read our Bible, what we will find is that peace is never detached from our reality, nor is it numb to it. The word peace in our Old Testament is this word shalom, which means peace be with you. Maybe you've heard somebody greet with somebody with, with the word shalom. 
Shalom isn't a quietness. It isn't calmness. Shalom literally means to be made complete, to be made whole. It's this idea of taking that something that is broken, something that is chaotic, and making it ordered, right, whole, complete. Job, who we just studied, writes in Job 5 that his tent was at peace because he looked over his fold and saw that, or that would be flock, fold flock animals. He saw all of his animals and none were missing. His tent was at peace. Jeremiah the prophet writes to the, the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. He says to seek the shalom, which in that instance is translated into welfare. Seek the shalom, the welfare, the completeness of the cities in which you are living in. For in their shalom, in their welfare, in their goodness, you will find your shalom. It is this idea of taking something intricate and complex and bringing wholeness to it. Shalom in wartime isn't just the absence of fighting, but shalom happens when you and your enemy and those who are opposed to you begin to do business together, to begin to work together again. Scripture isn't implying that peace is a distance or an absence of strife, but peace is actually us moving into brokenness, moving into contact or conflict, moving into chaos with the means of resolving and restoring and creating shalom. And this is the kind of peace that God wants for his creation. And more than that, it is the kind of peace that God has given to his creation. And so let's look at the, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. I'm actually going to be reading out of this a CSB, Christian Standard Bible, today. And so I'll read this, and you can follow along at home, and if you have your Bibles here. Verse 11. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were, who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Paul writes about two different groups of peoples, Jews and Gentiles. And what essentially says is Jews and everyone else. There's Jews and the world. We're Gentiles. And so Paul writes to these Gentiles, which is us, and said, you were once excluded from citizenship. You were once foreigners. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. But now through Christ Jesus, you were brought near to him by his blood. Jesus Christ is our peace. And so what Paul is saying is that peace is not a virtue. That peace is not a feeling. Peace is not a state of mind. Peace is a person. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. He has entered into the chaos and the conflict and the brokenness of our world, of our hearts, to bring peace and wholeness to us. And that is the point of the entirety of Scripture. 
That is the story of the whole breadth of Scripture. God bringing peace to his world. If we remember all the way back in the beginning, God in his creation, it was dark and without form. And God brought his shalom, his peace, and ordered that creation. He made it good. And he began to fill that goodness with beautiful things. And then he makes man and woman And he says that they are very good. In a garden that was perfect, full and at peace, God walked with man and woman in the garden. And all of that peace gave way to disorder. Chaos and disharmony came into the world where man and woman rebelled against God. Peace was broken. And ever since that moment, Humanity has been at war with God, at war with others, and at war with themselves. It is only four chapters into the Bible, into the creation story, that we see the narrative change. Just a few chapters after God declared it was good, that there was no shame, there was no strife, we see humanity beginning to kill each other, and Cain and Abel. We have run away from God. We have chosen to live apart from him. We are broken and in conflict. We have sinned. We have disobeyed God. We have chosen something other than him and his fullness and his perfection and his satisfaction. And that sin comes with consequence. God, who is perfect without defect, can no longer commune with his creation. And he is sad and he is angry at our sin. And God's wrath befalls onto us, onto sinful creation. We have rejected him. And Paul would write it this way in the Romans 3, that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Peace is no longer found. And that sin is still at war today. Creation itself is breaking today. It is the reason why you and I long for peace in our lives. It is the reason why you and I can run through somebody else to get what we want. It is the reason that you and I feel guilt and shame in our lives. It is the reason that you and I would rather be right than righteous. Because we are at war with God. And deep down, we don't believe truly that he cares for us. We don't believe that he wants us. And that conflict overflows into our relationships with one another. Paul goes on in Romans 3 to describe humanity. Paul takes a grouping of of different Old Testament verses and speaks this truth about the state of creation In Romans 3, verses 10, he says, None is righteous, no, not one. And no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of the asceps, which is snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is the story of us. This is the story of creation. 
Probably not as good of a TV show as the ABC version of this in us, but it's our story. We are at war with God, enemies of God in our sin, and we have turned that war onto one another and onto ourselves. But the story of Scripture does not end with that tragedy. And that is great hope for us. If God wanted his peace, he would have just left us to be by ourselves and gone away. Or he would have wiped us out. But that's not the God that we read about in the Bible. After the fall, after breaking, after peace was fractured, the God of the universe did not reject his creation. He did not detach from his creation. But God so loved the world that he pursued it with the aim of restoring it, to bring shalom. He picks a nation, the Israelites. He moves that nation. He protects that nation. He gives that nation the law to reveal to them and to us just how fallen we are and just how holy and good God is, just how desperately we need him. He establishes the temple system. God can no longer commune with his people. And so he establishes the temple. Within the temple is the holy of holies, separated from, with a massive curtain from the rest of the temple, where the presence of God lives. And he has high priest atone for the sins of humanity. The high priest would come in and he would have to offer a sacrifice of an innocent animal for himself first. Then to go into the holies of holies and give a sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people. God's wrath on sin would be poured out in that violence and death and blood of that innocent animal. God's wrath on sin would be poured onto that substitute. And that sounds gruesome, and it is gruesome, but it reveals something deeply profound and beautiful. God wants peace with his humanity. God wants peace with his people. An innocent animal would die that we might live. A substitute would die and absorb the wrath of God that we might live. And as we know, that temple structure wasn't meant to be in place forever, but rather to educate and remind his people that God wanted peace, but that peace had a cost. The temple and its sacrifices and its practices were recorded in our word and given to us that we would heed its warning and that we would be reminded of just what God would do and did do to bring his people back to him because God wants peace with his creation. And so all of it, Every animal, every temple moment, every high priest, every person in the Old Testament points to the person of peace and Jesus Christ. Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Christ is born, announces this in Isaiah 9. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The Christ child will establish an everlasting kingdom with an everlasting peace. And that peace is not the 
is dependent on the absence of things. That peace is fulfilled in Christ, who is the wholeness of all things. Because upon his birth in Luke 2, we see this great announcement from an angel in the fields with the flocks and the animals and the shepherds and says, I tell you good news of great joy today. For unto you today in the city of David, a child is born, Christ Jesus the Lord. And in that moment, a magnitude, a multitude of heavenly hosts come into that field and they begin to praise God and sing a heavenly chorus. And they cry out in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he well pleased. The Christ child's true purpose is revealed. In this angelic chorus, Jesus Christ would come to bring glory to his Father, and to earth he would come to bring peace. Shalom, completeness, wholeness. This is the work of the Son. His example, his life, his birth, his coming is the full radiance of what shalom looks like. God sends the Son into the brokenness, into the mess, into the chaos, to restore it, to make it whole. He does not send his peace through transcendent self-reflection and meditation. He doesn't make Jesus retreat to a snowy mountaintop that somebody might stumble upon him someday and see this virtuous, peaceful life and invite people to come and join him. No, our Father comes. He presses in. He sends the Son into the mess. John writes in his gospel in the first chapter, He says, the true light, which is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The Son, the Prince of Peace, is seeking the shalom of the world, whom are at war with each other and with God, so much so that they can't even realize that the Prince of Peace is on earth. Jesus declares in his word that he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve, that he would be a ransom for many. He does what we could not. He lives a sinless, blameless, perfect life, and then on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ absorbed the violence of God against sin, and at the same time, he suffered the violence of humanity that was at war with God, because God wants peace. He endured all the wrath and all the sadness of the Father and all the angry suffering and shame of his creation. And that is the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is come into the world to make peace between God and man. And as Paul writes, but as of now, but in Christ Jesus, you who were far away were made near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. Now consider what that says about our God. We may disagree, but if God made us, he certainly is justified to say something like, do this or suffer, do this or die. If he ordered it all, created it all, it would be completely fair to say, do this and die, or do that and suffer. 
In fact, most of the pagan gods that we'll read about in our history books were gods that would say, or fake gods that would say, do this or die. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the one true God. Our God says, I want peace. I want shalom. I want reconciliation. So I will die. I will enter into the mess. I will take what is broken and I will make it whole. And in that day when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, the Bible records that in the temple, the curtain that separated the most holy of holies, the physical presence of God was ripped from the top down. God did that as a statement to say what man could not do, I can. We couldn't make peace, but he could. We couldn't rip that curtain from the top down, but he could. No longer was God's presence confined to a room inside of a temple that was surrounded by a humanity at war, but through the justifying, atoning death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, God made peace with humanity. And now all of those who come to faith in Christ, by Christ, become the living temple of God on earth where the indwelling of God takes place through the Holy Spirit, the dove that transcends or descends from heaven. The peace of God is given to man. Jesus tore down the wall of hostility. He has brought us peace. And that peace is ours not through effort and trying. And I feel like maybe I say this every week, but the verb of the gospel is dying. Dying to this to the sin in us, dying to the war that wages in our hearts, dying to the war, the war that rages outside of me. It comes from understanding and abiding in the love of the Father who afforded me grace through faith. And Paul writes this in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, I, I remind you today, because I think it's important that we remind ourselves in this season, that peace is not the absence of hard things in your life. It's not the absence of struggle in your life. It is the wholeness that comes from one person, Jesus Christ. I'll end with these words from a hymn that was written in 1875, a hymn that we're familiar with called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. There's a chorus that says this, not... Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let us today consider the extravagant love of our Father who walked into chaos to make us whole. And remember, we are no longer at war. We are not at war. Jesus Christ came, I said, I came to bring, a, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Look, Jesus holds the sword. We don't hold the sword. We have his peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today and just, Lord, I, I confess, I just far too easily give my peace away. 
I far too easily abide in things that don't bring peace and truth into my life. And so, Father, help me today and help us today to abide in the wholeness that the sacrifice of Christ made for us on the cross. Lord, will you teach us to walk in that peace, a peace that works in sync with my love and my joy, that your fruit would be ripened, that it would be a sweet aroma to a dying and decaying world, that they would see a wholeness, a shalom in me by you that would bring them hope. Father, we pray this and ask this in the beautiful, precious, holy name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, love you guys. I'm so thankful that you are here today, so thankful you joined us at home today. We look forward to seeing you back next week. Take care. Love you.